0: Our scripture this morning is Genesis 39, the whole chapter. I'll pause about halfway through for bathroom breaks and coffee refills. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, Hear God's word. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who brought him down there. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, "'Lie with me.' But he refused and said to his master's wife, "'Behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house.' And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice, And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. And then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Why don't we pray together? God, we come to your word and we say thank you that you have spoken and you continue to speak. We hold fast to your promise that when we gather in the name of Jesus, your spirit is not only within us, but is uniquely among us. And so we ask that Holy Spirit, you would do your refining work, that you would do your revealing work, that you would convict us of sin, that you would protect us against self-delusion And justification towards paths of destruction. And you would guide us down the life. And life abundant that Jesus so deeply longs to give us. That he died and purchased for us. And rose again with power to offer to us. May you speak through me in this moment. May your word come alive. And be sharper than any two-edged sword. And pierce us with the wounds of a friend. That we might hear truth in one of the last bastions where freedom rings. For your glory, for your honor, and for our good. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, when I was, it was probably my first year as a pastor, I had a friend of mine who told me I had to read the book, Dangerous Calling. Anybody heard of this book? It's It's a book that talks about some of the unique dangers of being a pastor or working in church ministry, and I remember kind of swiping, because it was Kindle, swiping to like that second page or third page where they have all the endorsements, you know, from people you should know, and there were all these highly influential church leaders just listed out there, and they're all talking about, hey, you got to have this book. This is going to be good for your heart. If you want to do ministry over the long haul, pastoral ministry over the long haul, then you need to read this book. It's so good for you. Well, it's not even been a decade since that book came out. Not even a decade. And the first three, the first three pastoral leaders that are listed there that are saying integrity is so crucial and so important and this book is so great for your heart have failed and compromised their integrity and their ministries that were doing such catalytic work around the world for the gospel and proclaiming the word of Jesus as well as carrying out the work of Jesus. Now they've left wakes of destruction and pain. I mean, not even a decade. And this was so heartbreaking for me. And the reality is, is that this isn't just true within pastoral ministry. You look across various vocations, across various lines of work, and we see again and again, more and more people are coming up short against the test of integrity. And here's what I've discovered. This has kind of been a lesson I've learned Again and again at this point, when, I, when I'm looking for people to kind of guide my life or examples to kind of guide my life, here's the deal. Success without integrity is just failure in the making. Success without integrity is just failure in the making. From the outside looking in, they look astounding, but then suddenly there's this small secret compromise Done outside the public eye that slowly makes its way public and what happens? It decimates organizations, it decimates families, it decimates whole movements and communities and churches or maybe worse yet, it never comes to surface except after a life lived and you hear the story of someone confessing of a failure or a compromise and how it slowly ate away at their souls until they felt like they were a shadow of a person at the end of their life. Success without integrity, it's just failure in the making. And you know, the more I hear these stories, I keep thinking, well, maybe there'll be less, maybe we'll learn our lesson, but the reality is it seems like these stories with social media and everything, they just keep increasing. More and more, these stories are surfacing. And I don't think it's because we're stupid. I don't think it's because we're clueless. I think it's partly because we've forgotten what the real key to success is. I think in our pursuit to be fruitful, in our pursuit to make impact in the world, our pursuit to be quote-unquote successful, we've forgotten what the key to success is. And we've also forgotten, frankly, what success actually is. And that's why I'm so excited about this morning's text. This is why we sat in the whole of chapter 39. Sarah, you crushed it, by the way, (laughs) reading that whole section there. Because today we have a really rare story. It's a different kind of story. It's a story we really need to hear today. And in the text this morning, what we're going to see in Joseph's uncompromising integrity, we're going to come to see that success, or integrity rather, is God's unconventional pathway Roadmap to success. Integrity is God's unconventional roadmap to success. It's unconventional because I think we so often start there, maybe, and then we get wooed by a shortcut or another avenue and it leads to destruction because we thought it was so promising. It's unconventional because so many of us don't follow it to its end. But integrity is... It's God's unconventional roadmap to success, and by that I mean the life that you and I really long to live in the end. And here's how we're going to explore this this morning. Today we're going to rediscover, I think rediscover, the true meaning of integrity. And then we're going to look at how we keep it. When so much in our world is seeking to compromise, to attack integrity, for you and for me, we're going to rediscover what the real meaning of integrity is and then how to keep it. And I know for some of us in here, you may already be skeptical, okay? You're like, all right, this is one of those messages. You've seen how the integrity, you know, people who have integrity get the shaft again and again. You know how the world works. I really want you, I need you to just hang with me for a minute as we walk through this this morning. Because as much as you may know how the world works, the way God works always has a twist. And it's truly fascinating if we'll just trust Him. So if you haven't already, would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39. If you are using one of our community Bibles, it's found on page number 33. We find Joseph, he's far from his hometown, right? He's been betrayed by his family, his brothers, who were envious, who were jealous, of Joseph. They sold him into slavery. They put him in a pit. They beat him up. They sell him to a passing caravan. This caravan makes its way down to Egypt. Joseph is sold again, this time to Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's guard there in Egypt. And right away, in this unexpected place, God begins to bless Joseph. It's truly, a fa- it's truly fascinating. And Potiphar Someone who knows nothing of Yahweh, the God of Israel, and what God is doing this world over, begins to notice that Joseph's God, Yahweh, is with him. Do you see that in the text? Somehow this God, Yahweh, is with my slave, and everything he touches prospers. Literally, the text says that Joseph is a very successful man. And so seeing the success, somehow seeing that the deity, the gods, are blessing Joseph, Potiphar entrusts everything to him. In the text in verses 3 through 6, three times over, we see this word all. All is entrusted to Joseph. There's nothing that Potiphar keeps back. All is given to him. All. And so everything is entrusted to Joseph because he's become so successful that Potiphar quite self-interestedly wants to see all of his household flourish. And to top it off, what's so fascinating is that Joseph is like this ancient Dolce and Gabbana model. I mean, Joseph, he's just on fleek, right? He's like on point, ready to roll. And Potiphar's wife, she suddenly looks up and she sees Joseph. And she's drawn to him. And what's so astounding, this is one of the most explicit propositions we find in all of Scripture. She demands, comes up to her husband's slave, and says, "Lie with me." And then Joseph confounds her because he says, "No. She has power over him in many regards. And he says no. In a world of compromise, Joseph is this rare example of integrity. And really, this is just on a human level, is surprising. Because we're so used to men abusing uh, women and so used to men going with their urges rather than respecting the other or respecting confines. So, this is surprising just on a human level, but if you're reading through the book of Genesis, it's also surprising because every, nearly every man in the book of Genesis is compromised sexually. Nearly everyone. You just go to Genesis 38. Joseph's older brother, Judah, goes on an expedition looking for sex. And here, sex comes looking for Joseph. And he stands uncompromised. It's astounding. A rare example of integrity. So what is integrity, right? If we're rediscovering what integrity means, what is integrity? Now, if you are sitting in a workspace or sitting in a classroom, often we hear integrity described like what? It's it's something like integrity is doing the right thing When no one is watching right integrity is doing the right thing when no one is watching there's this emphasis on conduct doing the right thing whatever that is to you doing the right thing even if no one ever sees now i think there's there's part of that that's getting at part of the definition of integrity but it misses some of the main meat it's like integrity gets cut off at the legs when that's all we understand integrity to be and frankly that's not how scripture presents integrity Here's the here's a rediscovery of how scripture and specifically this story defines integrity. Integrity is a costly commitment to live before God in everything. Integrity is a costly commitment to live before God in everything. Now In Razor's Edge, this class is coming up on Wednesday, September 11th for 11 weeks. We're going to unpack what it means to live the integral life, to follow Jesus and everything. But this morning, I just want to highlight three nevers. Three nevers. When we genuinely understand what integrity is, three nevers that integrity entails. Okay? And here's the first one. If integrity is a costly commitment to live before God in everything, then integrity is never alone. Integrity is never alone. There's never a moment in your life and mine when no one is watching. Never. There's always, always, always someone watching. If you go back to Genesis 17, as we've been journeying through the book of Genesis, God approaches Abraham. And he invites him into this intimate journey of life. And what does he say? In verse 3, he says, walk before me and be blameless. Literally, walk before my face. This intimacy and connection with Yahweh. Walk before me and be blameless. That word blameless in Hebrew is tome. This is where we get the idea of integrity. This is where we get the idea of the integrated life, that all of it is woven together as this seamless tapestry. And yes, that's my son Zion screaming for joy. (laughs) I hope he has integrity when he grows up. Because right now it's pretty. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's great. Integrity, right here, tome, this blameless life. God says, walk before my, walk before my face and be tome, Be whole. Be integrated. Be someone of integrity. And in this intimacy, God makes us whole. He makes us complete. He makes us people. Of integrity. And this is the invitation he has for every single human being. This is the invitation, really, that harkens even further back in the Genesis narrative to Genesis chapter 2, where Adam and Eve, the very first couple, what do they do? They walk with God in the cool of the day in the garden. This is what we've been designed for, this intimacy with God, always living our life before him and his perspective and the way that he has designed his world to be. And when we walk with him, we begin to see all of life from his perspective, even the most secret of places. (coughs) And we begin to see sin for what it really, really is. Brilliantly on display in this passage, we see that sin destroys community It destroys the people around it. It's never isolated to any individual, and it's a complete and utter affront to a holy God who's created his world to flourish. Always. Right here, look at Joseph's response. If you go to verses 8 and 9. Joseph, when he's responding to Potiphar's wife, when she comes and she says, lie with me, Joseph says, no, no, she in Hebrew has two words. It says in English, you know, three, lie with me, but it's really two words. And Joseph's no is 35 words, breathlessly just trying to back up. It's fascinating. But what he's basically saying is he's like, look, 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 Potiphar has entrusted all of, my, all of his life to me, everything, except for you. He trusts me. I can't break that trust. I care for Potiphar. If I do this, it's going to have massive implications on his whole household. I can't do that to him. I love him too much. You see, Joseph has a deep understanding that sin will destroy whatever it touches and has this massive implications on a community. You know, in our culture, we constantly talk about how sex is something that's free. No cost. Free, free, free. You know, sleep with who you want. Have this great sexual expedition and quest. It's all free until it isn't. Our culture, it baits us to the very edge of destruction and then shames you to death when you cross the line. Isn't that what we see right now? Sleep with whoever you want. It's completely free. And then, is it any surprise that we have Epstein Epstein? Wait, I thought everything was free. I thought we could sleep with whoever we wanted. Then you have child abuse. Then you have pornography. You have sex addiction. You have broken homes. You have broken families. It's free. It's free. Go do what you want. Isn't the sexual revolution just great for us? And we feel this wake of destruction the world over. Have we counted the cost? Have we even thought about the ramifications anymore? And do we even care? See, Joseph understood that sin has this massive implication for community and it destroys. But then at the very bottom of his list, what does he say? He says, how can I do this great wickedness? A great wickedness and sin against God. You see, Joseph understands that there is no place that no one is not watching. I know there's a lot of double negatives going on in there, so hang with me. Sex isn't just something that two consenting adults do in private. It's something that's done before God. And when it's outside of the bounds of marriage, it is against God. Cornelius Plantiga, he's a theologian. He gives a br- robust understanding of sin when we look across the pages of Scripture that I think Joseph exemplifies and deeply understands here. Alvin plantick in a little book, I'd encourage you to check it out. It's not the way it's supposed to be. A Brevery of Sin is the name of the book. He writes, sin is this. Sin is a disruption of created harmony and then resistance to divine restoration of that harmony. God hates sin not just because it violates His law, But more substantively, because it violates shalom. Because it breaks the peace. Because it interferes with the way things are supposed to be. Indeed, this is why God has laws against a good deal of sin. God is for shalom. And therefore, against sin. And Joseph is one of the few characters in the book of Genesis that gets out of the way and lets God define what is good and evil. Adam and Eve from the very beginning. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I think I know what's better. I'm going to touch and I'm going to eat and I'm going to consume. And it leads to fragmentation and shame and pain. Joseph is one of the few who says, God, you define what's good and evil and I'm going to trust you and I'm not going to get near that. You see, he understands that integrity is never alone. God is always watching when we walk with him. And his perspective is more valuable than any way we may feel in the moment or long for in the future. So integrity is never alone. The second thing we come to see is that integrity is never just a moment. Joseph says no to Potiphar's wife here and to himself, which is pretty surprising. In our culture, no has become kind of a dirty word, right? When you say no to yourself and to certain desires... You're being harmful to yourself, which is so fascinating to me because in a culture where we celebrate athletes and musicians who say no to so many good things in order to excel at one great thing, in the same breath we say you can't say no to anything or you're not true to yourself. It's also fascinating that what sets us apart from all other mammals is the ability to say no. (laughs) Human beings are not slaves to their desires. We can actually say no to ourselves to pursue a greater good. The question is, who's defining the greater good? And so Joseph here, he says no to Potiphar's wife. But to be clear, it's not just a no every now and then. He is utterly committed to this no. In verse 10, we read that Potiphar's wife comes to him again and again and again, day after day after day. And he's committed to saying no Then the tactic changes a little bit. Do you see that there? She goes from saying lie with me to lie beside me. Hey, hey, Joseph, nothing wrong with a little nap. Come on, let's hang out. But Joseph knows all too well that when he's in that position, he won't be able to say no. He knows himself. He knows the situation. He's committed to saying no. He's diligently above reproach. And he's incessantly above board. And yet saying no gets harder and harder and harder. You see, sin, you don't have to go looking for sin. It'll come looking for you. Like a pop-up ad on your phone or those robocalls you get. And you're like, wait a second, that's my friend's number. How did this happen? Right? Like it just, it comes and it finds you and it's ready to devour. You have to be committed to saying no. And sometimes even to saying yes. You see, integrity, it's a commitment to live before God in everything. Because he's always watching, longing for our good. And then thirdly, integrity is never free. You see, that commitment's going to cost you. Sin costs us, but so does integrity. You know, integrity is this costly commitment to live before God in everything. And sometimes committing to do the right thing will cost you everything. I've heard from many of you who are out there and you're pursuing a potential spouse. You're, you're in the dating game and you're like, Gabe, listen, I'm out there and sometimes I'm just in a date and, and they even say they're a Christian, but they always have these expectations that we're going to go to bed at the end of the night. And if I don't, then they're not going to call me back. Am I ever going to find love when these are the expectations from everybody else who says they're a follower of Jesus, but completely slaps Jesus in the face when they ignore his sexual conduct and guidance? hurt for you my brothers and sisters it's never free and Joseph he says no again and again until finally the day comes where Potiphar's wife has had enough and so she grabs Joseph by the clothes and says lie with me and Joseph takes off well literally like he has to like jump out of his clothes just to get out of there and there you see Potiphar's wife seething with anger holding his clothes feeling the realms of rejection so what does she do two things one she lies she lies she lays out Joseph's clothing she sets the scene And she says that Joseph was the one who was constantly berating and pursuing her, even though she was the one who was trying to manipulate the situation. She had all the power and she was abusing her power and lying about Joseph, which is interestingly enough, ironically enough, the second time that Joseph's clothes were used to reinforce a lie. he has got a trend. he has got a brand, I guess. And I want to say this, in the light of our cultural moment, Even though this is true of this situation, I think women in our context are often disregarded when they come with honest and truth claims about sexual misconduct in the workplace and frankly the court of law needs to be listening to women in our context more. But in this situation, in this particular story, she is the one who lies. Secondly, she not only lies, she stirs up racism and xenophobia. When you get to verse 14, what does she say? She says, see, he, her husband, has brought this Hebrew to laugh at us. And as was the case with Emmett Till in our nation's history, as has been the case with immigrants and minorities throughout the history of the world, it became less about proof and more about ethnic solidarity from that point forward. So what happens to Joseph? He goes to prison. He goes to prison. Ironically enough, it's another pit. He's like, man, I just got out of this thing. Like he was in a pit when his brothers betrayed him. And then he sold as a slave. And then he's sold as a slave again. And now he's pursuing integrity. He chooses integrity. It costs him everything. And he's back in the pit again. Some of you may feel that way. Right now, you feel like you're chasing integrity and it cost you a relationship. Some of you are chasing integrity and you feel like your reputation at work dropped a rung because you just wouldn't go with the flow. Some of you feel like you got passed over for a promotion because you wouldn't just play the game. Some of you, you have employees who have concocted this false narrative because you wouldn't cave to their demands. Integrity is a costly commitment to live before God in everything. And it's never alone, it's never just a moment, and it's never free. So how on earth, with as difficult as it is, how on earth do we keep integrity? Two things we're going to come to see. One, you got to count the cost. And secondly, you got to hold on to the promise that it's better. <laughs> as hard as it is, got to count the cost, And you got to hold on to the promise that it's better. So first, where where are you being tempted to cave this morning? Where in your life are you being tempted to compromise? If you're in school, is it to cheat on a take-home exam because it's so easy and you could use a little bump in the GPA? Do you start to finagle with a reading report that says, did you read all of the book? And you're like, I looked at all the book. You know, knowing laughter. And then for some of us, some of we've all been there, just like, ah, skimmed it, reading, what is a. Uh, some of you, are, are you exaggerating stories about yourself with friends or coworkers or a boss in order to just gain a little extra influence? You know it didn't exactly go down like that, but you know what, you needed a little bump. So why not stretch it? Are some of you being tempted to compromise in your sexuality at work, in a relationship, with a technological device. Count the cost. Friends. Count the cost. Like Joseph. Name. Name the ramifications. And how it will destroy shalom in your context. How it will break the peace. List it out. What are the people's names. That will be destroyed. Hurt. Impacted. By you breaking and integrity you know for me sometimes i do that uh, and i had a pastor who modeled this for me in the pulpit growing up as well he would say sometimes i would sit in my office and when temptations feel extraordinarily huge or just overbearing i just start writing down all that it'll begin to cost me the impact on my relationship with Allie. how my kids will come to view me and disappointed will i ever be able to rebuild their trust my community, how people will view this church, this campus, how Jesus' name will get dragged through the mud. You've got to count the cost. And at the bottom of that list, whatever else you're putting in there that has this horizontal component, this human component, this relational component, at the bottom of the list, don't miss one of the most important components of all, that it is sin against God. That it breaks his heart. That he longs for shalom and you are actively pursuing to destroy his world. Don't downplay sin. This isn't just a harmless mistake. Be intentional. As a human being, you've been given great responsibility. Be aware of that. Be intentional. Write out the cost. Count it. Have you counted the cost? And I I wanted to do just a little. I was reading this story. I want to invite you on like a little imaginative journey. What if Joseph would have caved? Have you ever thought about that? Like what if if Joseph, you know what? He and Potiphar's wife were hanging out and he's like, you know what? This is going to be fine. No one's ever going to find out. What if he caved and no one ever found out? The best case of a worst case. You know what I mean? Now, if someone did find out, he'd have been murdered. Here's the interesting thing. (laughs) Like in ancient Near Eastern world, both historians and sociologists agree that there is like a rare occurrence of prisons in the ancient known world. Because listen, people didn't want to pay for you if you made a massive mistake in that culture. You were either murdered or maimed. You had your lesson right there, and you moved on. It's fascinating that even in our text, it doesn't explicitly say that jo- or that Pharaoh or Potiphar was angry at Joseph. He finds out, and he's incensed. He's angry. But chances are really good that Potiphar's wife, this isn't the first time this has happened. And if Potiphar really thought that Joseph was guilty, he'd have had him murdered. But where does he send him? He sends him to a place where royal prisoners are placed on hold until they have trial. But Joseph doesn't have a trial date. So he puts him in this place, extraordinarily rare, on hold. In order to to appease the real housewife of Egypt, you know kind of saying hey why don't you hang out over here and for the sake of his household but also knowing that joseph is innocent he puts him in prison indefinitely super rare in the ancient near eastern world but let's just say so if that if he was found out he'd be murdered but let's say he's not found out what's what happens then joseph stays in potiphar's house you know maybe he has a fairly comfortable life there's chances even as a slave he probably had a fairly comfortable life under Potiphar's roof but he could never look Potiphar in the eye he would constantly live with the anxiety of being found out constantly under the threat that murder was coming that his death was looming but at least he would have like a decently comfortable life and he wouldn't have been falsely accused and he would have never gone to prison Not at least for doing the right thing, like he does in his life. But I want you to think about this. What if he didn't go to prison? Who does he meet in prison? We know the rest of the story. He meets the chief cupbearer of Pharaoh and interprets his dream while in prison, such that later, still years later, but later, the cupbearer, when he's standing before Pharaoh and Pharaoh has this dream, he's like, who can interpret this? And he goes, I met this guy in prison. Oh, can you bring him on in? So like then Joseph like comes up and he interprets the dream for Pharaoh and then he becomes the second in command of Egypt when he's second in command. If he would have never gone to prison, he'd have never gone to second in command of Egypt. He'd always just had the ceiling vocationally there in Potiphar's house. So he'd have never been second in command. When famine hit the land, his family would not have survived. If he'd have never gone to second in command because he never went to prison for doing the right thing, he'd have never reconciled with his brothers. He'd have never seen his father again. We have no framework for how great the cost is of compromised integrity. And instead, we know how the story does go. Joseph stands strong in integrity and has years in prison, but still he rises to second in command over Egypt because of God's good providence to care for his promises this world over. Joseph chose integrity and his influence could not be stopped even in prison even in prison if you look at the beginning of genesis or genesis 39 you find these words that all was entrusted to him everything was put in his hand he was made successful when you get to the end of chapter 39 even though he's in prison what happens all is entrusted to him everything is put in his hands he finds favor even with the warden of the prison Sounds like very similar language that we found at the beginning of Genesis 39. All because Joseph chose integrity. So what's the lesson here? Is the promise of integrity that somehow things are just going to work out in the end for you? Is that the goal? Like just fate happens, it's the law of the universe? No. The promise of integrity... Deep, deeply embedded in this story is that God will never leave those who live for him. He will never leave those who live for him. You look at the beginning of Genesis chapter 39 and you look at verse 2, we find one of the most important phrases of all. The Lord was with Joseph. And then when you get to the end, the very end of this particular vignette of Joseph's life, and you get to verse 23, let's read that again. It says, The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. The Lord was with him in the beginning. The Lord was with him throughout the false accusations. And the Lord was even with him again in the pit. And that is one of the greatest components to the story of the life of faith is that God will not abandon, he will not leave those who live for him. Never. Sometimes he'll bring us through valleys to get us to mountaintops, valleys that we would never choose to walk on our own. Or as Pastor Henry said, sometimes the setback is just a setup for salvation, right? Listen, if you just want success... You may chase success without integrity, but it'll just be failure in the making. Story after story will promote that. But if you want to walk with God, then we come to see that integrity is God's unconventional roadmap, God's unconventional roadmap to success, to the life we truly long to live, a life of wholeness and fullness. Now, this vindication, it may not come till later. This is the truth of Joseph's story, isn't it? It's years later. It's not easy. It's not like everything went so great. It was like a walk in the park. No, it was terribly hard. He was in a pit for years. But God did not forget Joseph. And this is at the core of what it means to walk with God. And it's at the core of what it means to trust the Christian story. That when God became flesh in the person of Jesus and lived a perfectly integral life above reproach beyond any other. He was falsely accused, put to death on a cross, and then three days later rose again. Sometimes that vindication doesn't even come in this life, but it will come. And Jesus invites us to walk with him, not just to the mountaintops, but through the valleys. Trusting that He is with us through it all. Holding fast to His promise that integrity is still better because walking with Him is better and seeing things through His perspective is better even if it costs us everything. And He's given us the Holy Spirit to hold us fast as we sang earlier today. That when we feel weak, it is not by our strength we stand, but by His resurrection power who lives within us and carries us through. If we will but live before him, walk with him, he will make us whole, integral. And when we hold fast to integrity, it becomes one of the most unconventional roadmaps to the life we long to live. What's tempting you today? What's challenging your integrity? What does it cost? And is it worth it? But before we look at any of that, (laughs) the reality is, is that every single one of us in here have compromised our integrity in some way, shape, or form. Isn't that right? None of us are here because we've got our lives together and we're the perfect people. None of us are here because, you know what, we're the ones who've got integrity. We're the ones that are here because we've recognized just how broken we are and we need the grace of God equally no matter the difference of mistakes and sin that we have committed. And so we come first being lifted up by the gospel and what God has done for us in Christ, empowered by his spirit and now called to live the life and life abundant that Jesus alone provides and points us down.